Well, good morning. Today we've made it to the eighth week of our Summer in the Psalms series. Somebody remind me that's there. Uh, Over the course of this series, we've seen a whole bunch of aspects of our relationship with the Lord as portrayed by the Israelites who are going through a lot of things as well. And what we've seen is how we can walk in true happiness and joy, shepherded by the Lord. We've also looked for strength in God's presence by not just how, by not just, you know, finding the strength, but also how we can long after being in his presence. Uh, We've seen how we can trust God when we're in trouble, but we've also seen how we've got to repent uh, when we get into that trouble, when we sin, we turn to him. Last week, we looked at how we can face our fears in faith, um, the, and in faith that the Lord will take care of us. And this week, we're going to talk about gratitude and grace. Pastor Tony Evans tells a story of a young man who did some chores for his mother. After finishing the chores, he wrote her a note. He said this and in the note. He said, for washing the dishes, you owe me a dollar. For cleaning my room, you owe me a dollar. For hanging up my clothes, you owe me a dollar. For mowing the lawn, you owe me a dollar. Mama, you owe me pay up. And he printed a little bill for her, apparently, totaling $4, and he gave it to her. Mother came and put $4 on the kitchen table with a little note of her own. The note simply said, for carrying you nine months and being sick as a dog, no charge. For staying up all night with you, night after night when you were sick, no charge. For working overtime so that I could get you those special tennis shoes, no charge. For entertaining your friends when you wanted to bring them over without any notice, no charge. Signed, your mother who loves you, no charge, total zero. Gratitude and grace. Today we're in Psalm 103, psalm written by Israel's King David. It's first part of a group of four psalms that ends what's called Book 4 in the Book of Psalms. And these psalms are really focused on praising the Lord, just celebrating his kingship, which is much of what book four is about. Structure is pretty simple. There is a call to praise the Lord at the beginning and at the end with the central section of the psalm, really just celebrating God's works and the benefits that come from following him. And so we're going to take each of these sections individually while also breaking down that larger middle section to a couple of different parts. And so let's dive in by reading the first five verses. Where it says, Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins and heals your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion? Who satisfies your desires? with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. David starts this passage with a call to praise the Lord. Really, his focus is kind of on himself here. He's urging himself to give God praise. You see how he begins. He says, praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. That praise that David is exhorting himself to give God is a wholehearted praise with everything that he is. When we're talking about praise, what we're talking about is giving honor to God because of 
his acts and his nature because of who he is. Praising God in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. It involves a personal aspect to it, which is what David's urging himself to do, right? Praise him, um, my, my soul. But then you also have the corporate praise, like what we do on Sunday morning, worship. Um, and you can praise the Lord through prayer and music and singing and writing, encouraging, and even more. What we're going to see in this psalm is that David's going to focus on why we should give praises to God. We remember his benefits. And he lists four of these in, uh, in here in, in this first part, and they're kind of generalized. And the first of these is that the Lord will forgive all your sins. The Lord forgives all your sins. Sin is defined as any deviation from a divinely revealed will. So the basic meaning of that word is, as it's used in the original languages, it means to do wrong or to miss the mark, to fall short of the goal. Like we talked about a couple of weeks ago when we looked at Psalm 51, David and his repentance from his sin in Bathsheba. Sin is an offense against God. David said to God, against you and you alone have I sinned. So if sin is against God, then the only one who can truly forgive sin is God, right? And what David says here in Psalm 103 is that the Lord forgives all your sins. 1 John 1, 9 gives us, gives us what we need to do in order to receive that forgiveness. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We're going to talk a little bit more about that here in a minute. Um, as we go deeper, as, as David celebrates the Lord's works in that middle section, but we'll continue with the second benefit. And the second benefit is that uh, the Lord heals all your diseases. Lord heals all your diseases. Um, you know, it's funny. For Sunday school, I, I had to, or I had Austin teach Sunday school this morning for me because I've been dealing with a tooth infection, which I know some of you know. And, you know, that hurts so much. <laughs> um, like, so much. And I, I don't always pray, you know, that God would, like, take stuff from me. Like, there were nights, a couple nights, where I was like, please make it stop. I just want to sleep. Just knock me out at least so I can sleep. Um, I'm on antibiotics now, so that's awesome. Um, and my face had, like, a golf ball on it for a while, and that's gone down. Um, I, was, I was worried. I was like, I'm going to come up here talking out the side of my mouth because I can't open this side. <laughs> Um, we have to move my mic. Uh, but uh, it's funny because Austin didn't know what we were preaching on, I don't think, this week. But he, he brought a video, and uh, there's a guy on there who ha is a preacher, but he lost the use of his vocal cords, which for a preacher, that's pretty important. kind of need your vocal cords. And uh, it was years, I believe, that this was going on. And uh, he had kind of come to the end of himself, but he was, he was preaching, or he was teaching a Sunday school class as best he could. He, he would put the mic up super close to his, his mouth, and then would basically, he said he would basically yell for 45 minutes, and it would come out still kind of like a hoarse whisper. Um, but uh, he, he was teaching on Psalm 103, and uh, talk about healing and, you know, healing all, di all diseases. And this is a guy who's gone years without this, and he's thinking to himself, he's like, well, why not me and everything? Why have, why have you not healed me? And it had led him basically to the end of himself. Um, 
And like I think he was saying like that weekend, uh, he had basically come to the end of himself and had contemplated suicide. And he, because he just couldn't see the, see the way out of it. And it, it was just so powerful because as he's teaching that, and there's voice audio uh, recordings of it as he's teaching, um, he, he gets talking about the next part, which we'll, we'll get to here in a minute, uh, talking about the pit. Um, but when he talks about that, his voice changes. And all of a sudden, he can talk. And, and he just stops. Like, he's just like, you hear him breathe, just thank you, Lord. And, and he's like, I don't know what to do. Uh, you know, he's like, I don't know, really don't know what to say <laughs> right now. Um, but, you know, you just, like, the Lord had healed him. And, but he, he kind of had to come to the end of himself for that. Uh, seems to happen. Uh, none of that was in here, but that was just we we saw that this morning. I don't remember. Ask Austin who he is. I don't I don't know his name, but um, it, it was just a very powerful thing. And the fact that he was teaching on Psalm 103 at that time too, and it's just like, well, hey, that's what we're teaching on today. That's pretty pretty wild. Um, of course, it's not wild. Like it's God working that. Probably so I wouldn't preach what I was going to talk about. <laughs> so anyway, we're going to skip the next verse, just so you know. God can heal. You know, we, we truly believe that. that we're not going to put God in a box. God can heal. Um, he can heal both physically and he can heal you spiritually. He can heal diseases. He can forgive sins. He can also redeem your life from the pit as the next verse, verse 4, says. There's a couple of ways that we can look at what the pit means. It could be the Lord rescuing you from a bad situation where you've kind of reached the end of yourself, where you've gotten yourself dug in so much that you can't get yourself out. Um, in Psalm 40, verse 2, David writes this. He says, He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. And the other way that you can look at the pit is from death. You know, the, or the underworld. And that's also true for his followers. God's redeemed them from death to life, to eternal life with him. Listen to how David worded it in Psalm 16, verse 9. He says, Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. So he will rescue, for, rescue us from the pit. Last benefit of the Lord that David mentions in Psalm 103, this first part, is that he satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. When we see blessings that God gives us in this life, does that not renew us? Does it not get you excited and, and ready to just keep going? David's talking about the personal, but I also think there are things that, you know, we see at church as well. I mean, a few weeks ago, we had three people who were obedient to the Lord in baptism. That gets me excited. That's awesome. Or like last week, the ice cream social. I mean, that's a silly thing to get excited for, but it's exciting because, you know, a lot of you just stuck around and hung out and, and just talked with each other. It's so encouraging to see um, you know, the family here at Maple Grove just 
being a family and then having 900 gallons of ice cream left over <laughs> and sherbet. And that's awesome. That gets me excited. Or for me, like for a youth group, you know, we would, we've done weekend retreats or we've done summer camps. And those things are hard because it's just you're going, going, going. There's a lot of teaching in there. There's a lot of games, and, and we're just going. But, so I come away tired, but I also come away excited because of what the Lord has done in those times and, and seeing God's blessing over them. It could also see blessings that he has given you in your personal life. <clears throat> Sometimes some of us, we, we need to get past the negative stuff in our lives in order to see the blessings. Um, but they're there. So when you can look past that negative to see the blessings, that can renew you. And then you're not going to be like Eeyore, just walking around, uh, you know, like in Winnie the Pooh all, all the time. It's like, oh, whoa, well, it's me. You know, but it gets you excited. It gets you ready to go. So David continues into that next, the larger middle section, or the next few verses. Um, what we're going to look at is we're going to first look at the first part of it where he really is talking about forgiveness. Verse 6 says, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. It's kind of a big deal in today's world, right? Like a lot of people, especially younger people, and a lot of younger people have, have, have seen this. They're, they have a sincere desire to see justice, seek justice for many things, a lot of things, for oppressed people. And, and it's not a bad quality at all. But I think one of the problems is that we're trying to do it in our own power. We try and do it in our own way. And we are not perfect, obviously, and we don't always get it right. What we see in verse 6 is that the Lord cares for the oppressed, and he demonstrates throughout Scripture that very thing, right? I mean, think about the Israelites when they were in bondage to Egypt, right? He cared for them. He rescued them out of that. If the Lord cares for the oppressed, then of course we should care for the oppressed. But anything we do, we're not just trying to do it on our own. David doesn't just mention justice as well. He also mentions righteousness. Righteousness is defined as the conformity or obedience to a standard that is understood to be morally good. What defines morally good for a Christian? God, right? It's what God says, what we learn from his word. And what he's revealed to us. Our goal as Christians is to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect or complete as our Heavenly Father is. Even though we're, you know, that's the standard, that's the goal. We're not going to reach that goal. We're, we're not going to be perfect this side of heaven. But it's still the standard that we're aiming for. And, and as we grow in our walk with the Lord, we start to understand how he views justice and better act how he would. All that is to say is that the Lord cares for the oppressed and works righteousness and justice for them. David continues in verse 7. He says, He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. What we see here is a return to the Exodus story, and we get a repetition of the description of the Lord that God himself gave to Moses after the whole golden calf incident. And I want to read that for you, Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. 
And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. This would have been incredibly well known to David. Like he would have, he would have known this very well. And he uses it in his own writing here. Lord is compassionate and gracious. He is slow to anger. He is abounding in love. I love this description of the Lord because that's his nature. We see this throughout the Bible, and we've probably seen it in our own lives as well. And again, we think back to Psalm 51. Think back to David's sin where he committed adultery and murder, and he, but he truly repented for what he did, right? And what did the Lord do? He is compassionate and gracious, and he forgave David's sin. Now, it wasn't without consequence, but it was forgiven. And that's what David talks about in these verses, following his quotation of Exodus 34, 6. He says, the Lord will not always accuse. He will not harbor his anger forever. And then David hits his readers with the most important part, summing this all up. He says, God does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Iniquities are immoral or grossly unfair behavior. This, this right here should be everything for us, right? That's God's grace. And if we're honest, we know that we've all sinned. We've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, the glory that we've been called to. We've just fallen short of it. But thank the Lord, he is compassionate and gracious. And so what do we deserve for our sins? Romans 6.23 tells us the wages of sin is death. Proverbs 10.16 says the earnings of the wicked are sin and death. But praise God, he doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. It's not that he overlooks them, as we've seen, especially in David's case. There were consequences. There are consequences to our sin. But it is that the Lord is truly who he says he is. He is compassionate and gracious. He is slow to anger. His desire is to see all come to repentance in him, as the apostle Peter writes in his second letter. And the Lord is not just compassionate and gracious and slow to anger, but he is also abounding in love and faithfulness. Now, I struggle to come up with words that would define this well or describe it well, but David does give it a go, and I think he does a pretty good job in verses 11 and 12. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. You know, some people might be just content to say with like, oh, higher than the highest mountain in the world. Not David. He's like, no, think, as high as those heavens are above the earth, that's how great God's love is for his followers. I mean, even if you go to, to the atmosphere, that's pretty far. But what if you go beyond the atmosphere? You go to the stars, the planets, the galaxies. It's pretty good. So great is God's love. Think about it, as far east as you can go one way to as far west as you can go another. Now, try not to think that we're on a ball that's in space, but you just keep going out, keep just extending it out straight into space. That's as far as he has removed our transgressions, our sins from us. And that means when God forgives you, you are completely and utterly forgiven. Why do you feel guilt? He has removed your sin from you completely and put it as far away from you as it can go. That sin does not define you anymore. 
You do not have to go back to it. You have a new identity. You have no more guilt that you need to carry because he has forgiven you. And we need that forgiveness, that new identity, because we're limited beings. And David talks about this in the next part of his passage. Verse 13, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it, and it's gone. And its place remembers it no more. Life's pretty fleeting, right? The average life expectancy in the United States is almost 80 years old. Ladies, you help this out quite a bit because yours is at 82. And guys, we are at 77, so we got some work to do. That's the average, right? Like, some people go beyond that. Some people go short. Probably a number, a lot of people go short. But even though we might not like talking about it, like, we all recognize life seems pretty short. And it seems to go a lot faster the older you get. Like, it used to be, like, summers would go by quickly. But, I mean, it's already August in 2023. Where does that make sense? Where did this year go? It's fleeting. Like, what's the old saying? Like, life's short, and then you die. And you're going to die. And eventually, life's going to go on without you. And sometime down the road, you're not going to be remembered that you're even here. Wait, sorry, I'm not preaching on Ecclesiastes. That's my fault. (laughs) That's my fault. (laughs) David's reminding you of this because he's going to compare it here to to the love of God. In verse 17, he says, But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him, and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Now, that, that should lift us right up out of the darkness we're just in, talking about death and everything. But David's comparing the two, right? Like, our life, comparatively, very, very short, forgotten. But God's love is the complete opposite of that. It goes from everlasting to everlasting. It has no beginning. It has no end. Here's how Psalm 118.29 puts it. It says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. God has shown this love to us in sending his son to this earth. 1 John 4 verses 9 and 10 says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He continues in verse 15. He says, If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and we rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we're like Jesus. There's no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. But the one who fears is not made perfect in love. 
but we love because he first loved us. His love is from everlasting to everlasting. That doesn't even make sense because we're such limited creatures. Like, we cannot even fathom that. Charles Spurgeon, though, uh, who's a a preacher a long time ago, he, he spoke on the love of the Holy Spirit, and he said, Do you know, O saint, how much the Holy Spirit loves you? Can you measure the love of the Spirit? Do you know how great is the affection of his soul toward you? Go measure heaven with your span. Go weigh the mountains in the scales. Go take the ocean's water and count each drop. Go count the sand upon the the sea's wide shore. And when you've accomplished this, you can't tell how much he loves you. He has loved you long. He has loved you well. He has loved you ever, and he still shall love you. Our sin separated us from God, and yet God still loves us. He loved us from the beginning, from before we were born. And he loves you now, and he'll love you forever. We're able to enter into a relationship with him through his son who died on a cross for us because he loved us. C.S. Lewis writes, God loves us, not because we're lovable, but because he is love. Not because he needs to receive, but because he delights to give. And he gave us the greatest gift in his son, who now sits on the throne of grace. Jesus Christ, life, death, and resurrection, they are for us. And he invites each of us to follow him. All because God so loved the world, his creation, you. With that, I just want to close by reading the final passage from Psalm 103. At the beginning, David was encouraging himself to praise the Lord, focusing on himself, but now he's not limiting that. He moves into the heavens and the earth for everything to praise the Lord. Let me read starting verse 20. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, that is all we want to do is to give you the praise and the honor and the glory that, that is, you deserve because you love us so much, Lord. You love us from everlasting to everlasting. And it is out of that love that you sent your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for us. for our sin, taking our penalty, what we deserve, death. But now we get life because you love us and you have given us that precious gift because that's what it is. It is a gift, Lord. And we are so, so thankful. And Father, we take this time in our service as we take communion to remember that gift to remember 
Jesus on the cross, dying for our sin, his body that was broken, his blood that was shed to die, to be buried, but to rise again, conquering death, conquering Satan. And we are so thankful for your amazing gift. Praise the Lord, my soul. It's in Jesus' name I we pray. Amen.